So last week we were, well, the last few weeks actually, we've been thinking about this idea that uh, outside of Christ we are enslaved. We're enslaved by sin. Uh, we're enslaved um, to these these spiritual realities that by nature are not God's. Last week we were looking at how um, the whole question of what we believe isn't merely an intellectual thing, it's, it's a spiritual thing. The question of what we believe to be true, what we believe to be false, um, that has its origins in, in who we are relating to spiritually. Uh, and the, 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 th- the great thing about the gospel is that it frees us from all of that, it liberates us, and brings us into, into a sphere of being, a, a way of living um, that is shaped by the freedom that we have in Christ. And as we get towards the end of the book of Galatians, this idea of freedom um, really comes to the fore. It's a very important thing for us to get our head around. But you might remember this from last week's reading. All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Alright, this is this idea that um, we are in Christ. And with that comes freedom. I wonder if the way to think about spirituality and religion is to think of it more in terms of kind of like spiritual geography. You know, when we think of religion and spirituality, our instinct, our default is to think about performance. What do we do? How do we do it? But in the Bible, it seems that, it seems that it's much more about not, not what you do, but where you are. Where are you? Are you in Christ or not? It's as if in the Bible, you know, God's love, God's heart, God's passion, God's joy is focused in on His Son, on Jesus. And it's as we are in Jesus that we begin to experience and to live in the freedom that there is in the life of God. That we begin to experience the joy and the satisfaction and the delight that there is in the life of God. You know, Jesus is the one who is accepted by the Father. And it's as we are in Christ that we find we are in Christ. We are accepted by the Father. Alright, so it's as if you know, the Son is where the Father puts His love. And it's as we are in Christ that we then become those on whom the Father sets His love. You see, it's, it's not what we do. It's not how good we are. It's not how moral we are or how religious we are. It's much more a question of where we are. In whom we are. All right? we, we, we come before God. We are accepted in relation, into relationship with God based on Jesus. Alright, we, we've clothed ourselves with Christ. His obedience. His goodness. It's like that bit um, in the book of Genesis. 
Uh, you know when um, Isaac wants to bless Esau? Yeah? Yeah, okay. Oh, man. I was like, oh, my goodness. I'm really going to have to unpack it. So there's this bit in the Old Testament where there's this guy, Isaac, and he has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And he, he, you see, Isaac thinks he knows, oh, he knows the kind of person who should lead the church, and it's Esau. And Esau's like a, he's like a man's man, you know, he's, he's alpha male guy, and he's a, you know, he's a hunter. He goes out and he kills things and makes fire and eats meats, and, and Isaac's like, ah, that's my boy. I, I want to bless him. And there's this other guy, Jacob, who's, you know, the Bible kind of is, is quite disparaging about him. He's, you know, he, he likes to, to be around the tents, and he's his mum's favorite boy and stuff. And, and uh, Isaac doesn't want to bless him. Um, but his mum wants him to have the blessing. So they have this, this really sneaky scheme. So Jacob's like, uh, says to his son, no, Isaac, sorry. Isaac says to his son, Esau, go off and hunt, my boy, and bring me back some meat that's been cooked in a fire because I like it. Um, so Esau, and then I'll bless you, I'll pray for you, and I will bless you. So Esau heads off into the fields. And while he's off in the fields, remember the story. Um, Rebecca gets, gets Jacob and dresses him up in Esau's clothes and sends him in with, with some stew and stuff that's been cooked just like outside. Uh, and he goes in, and of course, like, you know, Isaac's this blind old guy and his senses are failing and he's like, he's easily confused, bless him. And so, you know, Jacob comes in dressed in his brother's clothes and receives the blessing. And it's a bit like that, isn't it? We come in dressed in Christ, dressed in our brother's clothes. And so we receive the Father's blessing. And this is so important. And this has been the message of Galatians. Or one of the messages in Galatians is, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. We are in Christ. We are clothed in Christ. Right? That's, that is how we are caught up into the life of God. That's how we are loved by God. That's how we are accepted by God. Not at all by our own performance, our own goodness, our own morality, our own religiousness, our own spirituality. In fact, we were thinking a few weeks ago how trying to be a good person without Jesus, trying to be a good person, might actually in the Bible be the worst of all sins. And so Paul's like, you can't mix these two ways of thinking about your relationship with God. These two ways of, of trying to find access into the life of God. You can't mix being in Jesus and being a good person. Right? They're, they're totally opposite and opposed to each other. And in as much as you are trying to, to be a good person, in as much as you're trying to have kind of performance-based religion, that, and as much as you're doing that, you are not trusting in Jesus. Right? This is so important. This is why Paul really goes to town on the Galatian Christians. Um, here's a, a guy, Calvin, was a, a French um, preacher from uh, about 500 years ago. And one of the things he says, he said a lot of things. 
But one of the things he said is we shall, and, and, and again, just feel the, the, the mutual exclusivity that's going on here. All right? It's, it's either or. You cannot be in both camps. You are either in one or in the other. He's like, we shall never be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Picking up the language of Galatians 3. We shall never, never be clothed with the righteousness of Christ, except that we first know assuredly that we have no righteousness of our own. Right? We just have to give up, completely give up and turn our back on that whole performance-based religion, trying to be a good person, trying to be moral, trying to be religious enough. All that's got to go. We've got to get that out of our system completely and simply come clothed in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there is nothing. This is the Gospel. There is nothing that I can do to make God love me more than He loves me in Christ. And of course, the corollary is there's nothing that I can do that will make Him love me less than He loves me in Christ. See, that's the beauty and the power of the Gospel. And there's this ugly, counterfeit religion that pretends to be Christianity. But actually, it's, it's, it's this thing we've been calling legalism. Um, and that is all about that's all about performance. It's all about being a good person, being moral, being right, being religious, doing the rituals, playing by the rules. And then, you know, that's what's going to get me to, to God. That's what's going to make God love me. That's what's going to make God accept me. All right? And, and you know, this is one of the things that Paul's been exploring with us in Galatians is, that the tragedy of that is what I'm saying is that somehow what Christ did for me, what Christ provides for me, isn't enough. You know, maybe it gets me some of the way, but you know, I need to kind of like top it up, I guess, with 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 my own righteousness. It's like um, it's like when you're in an aeroplane and they're doing that uh, safety brief before you take off, all right? And, I mean, it always seems slightly strange to me because I always sort of think, you know, if you hit the ground at like 800 miles an hour, you know, having a life jacket under your chair is probably, probably not adequate for the situation that you're finding yourself in. But in the off chance that somehow you survive this, like, you know, steep descent from 38,000 feet, they tell you there's this life jacket under your seat, all right? And have you ever noticed the way they, they do this? The, you know, the, the, the air steward or the air hostess, they, they put this life jacket on and they tell you to pull the toggle. And then they say, and, and, and if that, you know, there's a tube here, isn't there? Where it's like, if the toggle doesn't quite work or if it doesn't quite fill you up, you know, by that stage you're like, oh man, this is just such a bad day. 38,000 feet, steep descent, hit the water, managed to get out with a life jacket that I've crawled out from and now I pull the toggle and the life jacket's not even inflating. It's like, come on. But there's this tube that's like, you know, you can, you can kind of blow it up yourself if you need to. 
and they, they suddenly they show their face again, and you're, and, and you're like, oh, right, we, we haven't seen you for, you for a few weeks. Um, you know, how have you been? What's been going on? And, well, I've, I've had some stuff going on in my life, and I just haven't felt like I could come to church. All right, that's, you get the t-shirt for that one. You know, where I don't feel like I'm good enough to come to church. Um, or, you know, <clears throat> maybe it's not that, uh, you know, you're the one sitting in the pew refusing to come to the, to the table because you don't think you're good enough. But maybe you're sitting in the pew watching other people go up and you're thinking, they shouldn't be going up there. I know what's going on in their life. They should not be going up for communion. Get the t-shirt. Um, or, or maybe it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a low-grade resentment because other people in the church aren't as committed as I am. That just gets really annoying. Because, of course, it is all about how committed we are. No, no, it's not. Get the t-shirt. Legalism. All right? Or, or maybe it's the way, you know the way we can just, just casually slip into conversation how good we've been or how religious we are? Oh, you know, well, I was just praying for you the other day during my, like, three-hour quiet time. And, you know, you would never be that crass. But we have these little ways of just dropping in, making sure that other people know that, you know, we're, 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 we're good Christians. We're good Christians. Because, you see, the thing about legalism is, if you think that you have to be good enough to be accepted by God, then you're going to think you have to be good enough to be accepted by God's people. And if you're a legalist in your relationship with God... You're going to be a legalist in your relationship with the church. And it's going to matter to you that other people in the church know how religious you are, how spiritual you are, how mature you are as a Christian. And you're going to find all kinds of ways of making sure that other people know how good your performance is in spiritual matters. Or maybe it's about the way that we try extra hard to be a really good Christian before something where we really want God's blessing. Or there's a prayer, something that's really important to us. We want to see God act. We want to see God move in a certain way. And so what do we do? Well, you know, for two, three weeks beforehand, we have our quiet time every day. Legalist. Or when we come to God in repentance and we say, Oh God, please forgive me and I promise I'll never do it again. Look, God's forgiveness is not based on your performance, even your anticipated future performance. God's going to forgive you. He's going to forgive you because He loves you, because you're His child in Christ and on the basis of what Jesus did at the cross. Not on the, God's not sitting there going, well, okay, if you promise that you will never do it again, then we'll call it quits. No, that's not how it works. It's not about our performance. 
not. Those are the obvious ones. Some of the obvious ones. But we are really crafty. We are canny creatures. And we can find ways of sinning that really don't look like sin. And we can find ways of being legalistic that really look like it's the genuine, grace-based, Christian, authentic thing that we all know we're supposed to step into. Um, and and this, is a, this is very, very dangerous. Right? And, and there is a way of being legalistic that is very, very deep and very subtle and very nuanced. And it's very hard to tell in ourselves or in other people whether we're being legalistic or whether we're being genuinely spirit-filled, grace-based Christians. And in fact, the only way to tell is to wait and see. You know when Jesus says, by their fruit you will recognize them? Well, it's, it, it's remarkably good advice. Uh, and, and there are times when it is the only way to tell the difference between somebody who's being legalistic in their Christianity and somebody who's really got a handle on grace. Um, and in the reading tonight, because we are going to get to Galatians 4, um, Paul almost incidentally gives us a couple of uh, arenas, a couple of places in, in Christian spiritual experience where we can taste the fruit of a life and see if it is sweet with the taste of grace or whether it has become embittered with legalism. And the first, uh, the first place to look is in the question of our service to other Christians. Um, Paul, how does Paul end up in Galatia? He wasn't planning to go there, um, but he tells us in verse uh, 13 that it was because of an illness that he first preached the gospel in, in Galatia. Um, now, he said, even though my illness was a trial to you, you didn't treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, uh, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Now, Paul, Paul has this illness. Um, and, and I'll have a stab at telling you in a minute what I think the illness was. But it was clearly incredibly debilitating. Because it made Paul, you know, Paul, Paul was on a missionary journey. And uh, it made him change his plans. It made him take a detour to rest up for a while in Galatia. Now, you know how debilitating this is because when you read through the book of Acts, there's this one incident which just cracks me up because like Paul has been stoned for preaching the gospel and he's been stoned to the point where people are just look at him and go, yeah, he's dead. So he's been like, he's been mullered. Do you know what I mean? Um, so they, they, everybody leaves him just out there and actually Paul isn't dead and he gets up and, and he goes to the next city and starts preaching the gospel again. 
So Paul is not somebody who's, who changes his plans, you know, for trifles. Now here's a guy who is stoned to within an inch of his life, gets up and carries on on the journey he planned out beforehand. So this, this must have been really serious if it caused Paul to take a detour to rest up in Galatia. And it exposed him to the threat or to the possibility of scorn and contempt. And if it was a trial to Paul, uh, we can only imagine how these Galatians uh, reacted and responded to him. They weren't even Christians at this stage. And this guy turns up in, in, their, in, in their midst. And, but here's the thing with Paul. All right? Paul, even when he is in this state, Paul is still wanting to serve others. He is still wanting to care for the needs of others. Right? Like, you would think at this stage, Paul, surely you've got, you know, you'll be forgiven for, for, for yeah, a bit of self-pity. Just resting up for a while. You know, just, just taking the pressure off, take a foot off the accelerator, have a few days rest, mate. But he doesn't. Preaches. He shares the gospel and plants a church. He leads people to Jesus. Because, you see, that's what happens when people are grabbed by the reality of the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They become relentless unstoppable channels of that grace to other people. They are so moved by the needs of others that even when it is incredibly self-sacrificial, still they will move to meet those needs. Whatever the cost. Spiritually, but also physically. I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Right, see, here's this is what I think is wrong with Paul. I think he's going blind, basically, because he saw Jesus on the Damascus Road. But we'll maybe come back to that in Galatians chapter 6. But see what happens when, when these Galatian Christians become Christians, when they are gripped with the gospel of grace. Right? The same commitment, the same determination to serve other people, to meet the needs of other people, no matter what the cost is to myself, that same thing begins to characterize the church at Galatia, when they are trusting the gospel of grace. That's what people do. Spiritual needs, physical needs, doesn't matter. Because we have received grace, we want to show grace. When we are gripped by the gospel of grace and drawn into the life of God, we become people who are relentlessly committed to meeting the needs of, of other people. 
But once you begin to drift into a legalistic gospel, the first thing that goes is the desire, the commitment to bless other people and to serve other people. See, without grace to drive the engine of service, our service as legalists becomes cold and calculating and controlled and contractual. Because, you see, if I'm a legalist, what is it that's driving my righteousness, my goodness? I'm always calculating what do I need to do to be good enough to be accepted by God. See, that's what drives me. If I'm a legalist, always the question is, what do I need to do to be good enough? To be good enough to be accepted by God, to be good enough to be accepted by the church. What do I need to do? And I will do that and nothing more. See, once I've done enough to, at least in my own opinion, be good enough for God and good enough for the church, then I can walk away with a clear conscience. It doesn't matter whether I've actually met your needs or not. It doesn't matter whether I've actually resolved what's going on in your life or not. That's Because that's not the important thing. The important thing is, have I done enough? To be acceptable. And as soon as I've done enough to be acceptable, that's where I stop. You see, Paul wants to warn us against this. He wants us to diagnose this within ourselves and in one another. He wants us to be grace-filled people. People who know the Spirit. Remember, the Spirit is linked to the Gospel. right? You receive the Spirit as you believe the Gospel. And He wants us to have the Spirit driving this sacrificial, joyful, relentless service that is motivated by the need in other people, not what we see to be the need in ourselves. And the simple fact is that when we lose the grace, when we lose the intimacy with the Spirit that the Gospel brings, when we drift into legalism, our service becomes selfishness. You see, you just become a means to an end. I'm not actually loving you. I'm not actually serving you. I don't actually care about what's going on in your life. All I care about is, have I done enough? Have I done enough to be acceptable to God and to the church? I'm using you. In fact, in serving you, I'm actually serving myself. Because you've just become a means for me to prove how good I am. A chance for me to climb a few rungs up the ladder. So that everyone knows what a good Christian I am. 
And believe me, I'll make sure that everyone gets to know about the visits I've made and the meals I've cooked and the ways in which I've cared for other people. Because everyone's got to know. So service, in the way that I serve other Christians, does my life taste sweet with the grace of the gospel or has it become embittered by legalism? Service. The other area is security. Um, See, a legalist is perennially insecure in their relationship with God and in their relationship with the church. See, this is Paul's complaint against the legalists at Galatia. He says, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. See, what they want is to alienate you from us so that you might have zeal for them. Now look, it's fine to be zealous, says Paul. He's got, Paul's no problem with people being passionately committed to something so long as the purpose is good. And if you're going to be zealous, then be zealous always, not just when Paul is around so you can impress him. Right? But Paul's problem is with the, these legalistic teachers in Galatia. Um, they are zealous to win over the Galatians church, but for no good. What they want, see this is interesting, what they want is to alienate you from us so that you have zeal for them. Now look, we all know what it is to be locked in a relationship with someone who's insecure. To have this person who just needs from us constant reaffirmation about how valued they are, about how important they are, about how significant they are. They need to be affirmed and reaffirmed and reaffirmed because there's this insecurity that's just eating away at them and they need you to keep telling them how important they are. Now, I'll tell you, it's really dangerous when someone who is a legalist gets into a position of pastoral responsibility. When someone who never quite has confidence and security in their relationship with God or in their relationship with the church, they, 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 they never... They can never simply trust that they are accepted by God and by God's people. When they get into a position of pastoral responsibility, like they've done in Galatia, it is an incredibly dangerous thing. Because people like that are involved in ministry. And it might be, you know, something like ordained ministry or where you're leading a church or where you're involved in leading a particular ministry or group within the church. You see, they get into that position of authority and then because they are insecure, you see, they know, they know, they're always wondering, am I good enough? And I suspect they know deep down inside they're not. 
And so this, in their relationship with God, there's this deep insecurity that runs through it. And because that deepest of all relationships is insecure, all their relationships are insecure. And so their relationship with the church is characterized by insecurity. And when they get into ministry, their relationship with the church starts to become really quite abusive. Because they need you, they need a congregation to give them that constant affirmation and reaffirmation about how important they are and about how significant they are. You see, somebody who's a legalist and therefore who is insecure, when they get into, into ministry, you see, the important thing to them is not that you're growing as a Christian. The important thing to them is that you realize that it's because of them that you're growing as a Christian. You know how much you owe them. You know how much you rely on them. That it was them. They brought you into relationship with Christ. It's because of their teaching or their input or their friendship or their support. See, that's why you've grown as a Christian. Alright, so we get to um, verse 17. Alright, and, and Paul's like, yeah, you see, these guys, are, they're zealous. They're zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you have zeal for them. You know, again, if you've been locked into a relationship with somebody who's insecure, you know they see every other relationship as a threat. And one of the things somebody who's really insecure does is they alienate you from everybody else. All right? They make sure you have no other meaningful relationships so that you are dependent on them, so that you need them, because that's how they get their affirmation, by you needing them. And that's what these guys are doing in Galatia. Right? They're, they're, they're cutting this congregation off from all other meaningful relationships so that you need me. So that I can draw my security and my affirmation from you. Now you see, Paul, by contrast to all this, Paul gets the gospel of grace. So when Paul's going into Galatia, you see, Paul could go into Galatia and say, all right, come on guys, who brought you to Jesus? Yeah, that was me. Who taught you the gospel? Yeah, that was me too. Who planted the church here? Me. But that's not what Paul's doing. Where does Paul want the affection of the Galatians to be? On Jesus. And that's what happens. You see, security, grace brings security. It brings security in our relationship with God. It brings security in our relationship with the church. So we can genuinely say to one another, look, seriously, so long as you're growing in Christ, I don't care where you're getting that input from. If it's for me, brilliant. But if it's not for me, I'm not going to feel threatened by that. I'm not going to feel insecure about that. So our service for others and our security in our relationship with God and in our relationship with the church and in our ministry within the life of the church. These two areas where we taste the fruit of our life and we begin to taste 
whether it is sweet with grace or whether it has become embittered with legalism. How do we serve? How do we serve? Is it, is it cold and calculating? I'll do enough so that I'm acceptable to the church so that I can... Or, or, or will I go the extra mile? Will I be sacrificial in my service? Because what I really care about is the need in your life rather than in me looking good. And am I secure in my relationships? Now look, what should I do? Okay? If, if, I, if I begin to sense legalism in my own heart, what should I do? Well, uh, repent and keep listening to sermons on Galatians. Okay? Be here for the next three or four weeks while we finish off Galatians and uh, we will give you a very different model for Christianity from the one that you are laboring under. Um, But I think a more interesting question in a way for tonight is what do we do if we see legalism in a brother or sister in Christ? Because we need each other, don't we? We're remarkably blind to our own sins. And it's likely that if I am being legalistic, especially if I'm, it's that deep down, sophisticated, really rooted kind of legalism that's buried, it's, it's likely I'm not going to see it. And I'm going to need you to help me identify where I'm being legalistic. So what do we do when we see someone else in the church whose, whose service is calculated and cold and controlled. Or when we see someone who is, who is using a position of uh, authority within the life of the church in order to make everybody else reliant on them. They're insecure in their relationships. Well, the first thing is we do have to get involved. You know, we're we're not good at this, I don't think. But just look at what Paul is doing. Paul isn't going, well, you know, Church of Galatia, a bit of legalism. Well, there you go, that's life. People get legalistic. No. Paul, Paul gets involved gets involved. He will not allow legalism to take root in the heart of this church in a way that's uncontested. He will not stand back and simply lose this church to slavery, to demons again. And it's worth remembering last week's sermon and think when you see somebody being legalistic, it's not just that they're going off course a little bit. Somebody who's who's buying again into a legalistic way of thinking about their relationship with God is someone who is being enslaved by demons. That might provide a certain motivation to get involved. But as we get involved, how do we do it? What do we learn from Paul? Well, the first thing is we need to stand where Paul stood. Paul stands on the gospel. 
He stands on the finished work of Christ. Right? There's nothing of the legalist in the Apostle Paul. And if you are going to get involved in the life of someone else in this church who you think, you suspect is being legalistic in their relationship with God or their relationship with the church, somebody says something, does something in home group, and you're just thinking, ooh, that sounds a lot like what we've been thinking about on Sunday evening. And you're going to get involved. The first thing that you need to do is make sure that you yourself are standing on the grace of God. Remember the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus tells this story um, about, you know, why, do you, why are you looking at the speck of dust in your brother's eye when all the time you've got a plank in your own eye? All right, what does Jesus say to do? First thing, he doesn't say ignore the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye. That's not what he says. What he says is, first, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to deal with the speck of dust in your brother's eye. Right? So before you get involved in what you suspect might be somebody else's legalism, take the plank out of your own eye. Make sure you stand where Paul stands. Make sure that you are rooted in the gospel of grace, secure in the righteousness of Christ. And then the second thing is think as Paul thought. Right? Paul understood the reality of what is going on when somebody is flirting with legalism. He sees how dangerous it is. He sees the, the importance of this. They are involved in relating to a different God. They're believing a gospel that is no gospel at all. They are being cut off from the life of Christ. They are grieving the Spirit. Right? Think the way Paul thought. Understand the urgency of the situation. Then feel as Paul felt. Verse 11. I fear for you. I fear for you. I'm scared. When I see legalism taking hold in your life, Frightens me. Feel what Paul felt. Be scared for others when you see this overshadowing their soul. And Paul was prepared to risk everything. He was prepared to risk being misunderstood. He was prepared to risk being rejected, prepared to risk the resentment of the Galatians, their bitterness, their anger towards him. Paul says, I will risk it all and I will endure all suffering until Christ is formed in you. Paul says, even if I have to go through the spiritual equivalent of childbirth, which I'm told is a moderately you know, uncomfortable experience. It's, it's like, it's one of the most painful things known to humanity. You know, people die doing that. And Paul says, if I have to go through the spiritual equivalent of that to rescue you from legalism, 
then I will do it. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Feel what Paul felt. And then do what Paul did. Get involved. Alright, we're not good at this. We're really not good at this. You know, we barely talk about religion. Even in the most generalized sense. We like to give respect each other's personal space. You know, our, our relationship with Jesus, it's very personal, it's very private. We don't do well at this. There is no personal space in the book of Galatians. There's no reserve. Paul isn't standing back and assuming that somebody else will deal with this. He doesn't back off for fear of upsetting people. He doesn't seek to avoid conflict in the book of Galatians. You might have noticed that. No. He will be involved. He will confront. He will challenge. He will do everything in his power to bring folk back to Christ. To his grace. In other words, he does what he's going to tell us to do in chapter 6. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin and make no mistake, legalism is sin. If someone is caught in a sin, then you who live by the Spirit You who are rooted in the gospel. You who know what it is to be clothed in Christ. You who who are secure in the grace of Jesus. You restore that person. Do it so gently. And be careful. Because you yourself will be tempted to become a legalist in the process.